Should we begin? Yeah, we're live. We're live. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. This is a live TikTok, and we're going to be starting Speaking from Water episode 30. Now, let's, let's begin. Should I begin? Yeah. All right, let's begin. Okay. Welcome to Speaking from Water episode 30. I'm your host, Sean Rudke. Speaking from Water is a show where we bring you water legends. Uh, the legend I'm bringing to you today is uh, a dude I've known, had the pleasure of knowing since, I guess he was 14. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Jurgen, goes, Sean, there's a, there's a kid who wants to do what you're doing. And I was like, man, I don't even know what I'm doing, but um, I'd be happy to talk to him. And this is 2014, 13, and uh, he comes up lightning bolts in his eyes and uh, just super stoked and over the years I've had you know the honor and pleasure to watch him grow and uh, he's here with us today Jake Stevenson hello thanks for having me dude it is, to be here. It is so great so great to see you on this beautiful uh, Wrightsville Beach morning uh, we're no waves winds uh, out of the north pretty chilly but we got the whole place to ourselves we do have the whole place to ourselves there's no one here um, sun is about to rise and we're going to do this podcast and uh, what I'm really really stoked to talk to Jake about today is his um, one like how he got to be so in tune with videography editing the aesthetic of of the art uh, he's been to film school he's created movies he's worked for some of the top legends in the social media space and he has a breadth of knowledge we're going to dive deep into everything so if you are into the the world of art videography creation specifically video photo um this this podcast is for you and uh you know jake's younger than me but he has i just another like angle of knowledge that i'm really excited to dive deep into so uh, jake welcome to this podcast Thank you for, for coming. And uh, first off, how are you doing? I'm so good right now. It's uh, the first time I've been to the beach for a sunrise, actually, in a few weeks. So it feels good to get out here. You, you've, you've been doing a lot of traveling lately. Where, where have you been going? I've been doing a lot of travel. Um, my latest latest spots were warmer. I was at the, in the Bahamas a few weeks ago. Um, that just kind of you know moving all around the states wherever wherever work takes me and and um so you're you're back home you had a nice christmas uh when when you, you grew up here in wrightsville beach and uh this is a, a special place a lot of people might not know about it uh, again we are TikToking live this podcast for those of you listening in the future and listening right now this is speaking from water if you're coming on and um before we get into your history, let's just talk about this present moment of what we're doing. You know, you're you're a social media expert, and uh, we're 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 oscillating between two times right now. This um, uh, this live time on the social media and the the future when people will listen to it in the future. Right. And um, just what's what's your analysis on that kind of concept of uh, of creation, like in the present moment, but then also it's happening in the future with consumption. For sure, yeah. I think it's super important 
uh, in this day and age, making content to keep everything present. So I think live form content translates well into long form content later on or short form. You know, there's so much to pull apart from it, but um, being in the present in social media nowadays seems to be one of the key factors to success. And, and how, how do you think like an individual out there who wants to create content, how should they um, approach uh, such an endeavor of like, do I just go live whenever or like, do you plan it out and do you have like a schedule? How, how do you view the scene? Well, you know, a lot of uh, the work that I do is I'm more on the uh, camera side of things. So I'm more focused on, you know, shooting everything, but it kind of gives me a nice background where I can watch all the other stuff go down. And um, yeah, I, th I think it's it's important to make sure you have some sort of game plan going into it, but always leave room for, you know, spontaneity. You want things to feel like natural and you want things to feel engaging. And in order to do that, I personally think that you have to uh, allow some room for last minute changes. You have to allow for, you know, creative things to happen in the moment. And that's how you're gonna get uh, the best content out of things. So I think the key word we're thinking about here is improv. And this word improv goes into all the arts, uh, abstract art specifically, uh, jazz, which is another form of the abstract art. Yep. And I guess if we're talking in videography land, um, leaving room for improv in, in that in that moment and not being like you, you have a rough draft you have a script but you don't have to like stick to the script exactly it's always good to have a plan but don't you don't have to stick to it right so um, let, let's let's go back to the beginning like you're from here Riceville Beach the, the ocean here is something that just gives just radiates uh, inspiration um, what what was it in your upbringing that you said, I got to start documenting, I got to start capturing, I got to get a camera. What, can you bring us back to those early days? Yeah, definitely. So the first vivid experience I remember, uh, I mean, if you ask my parents, I was always gravitated towards cameras. In any child videos, you always see me like trying to grab the camera out of my dad's hands and uh, start using it. But really early on actually um, when YouTube was first starting back in like 2006 I remember making a bunch of videos with my friends it was the first time you know it was a platform out it felt crazy you could post a video online and anyone in the world can see it and it doesn't cost any money to put the video up it's free so it's just like this free platform to express yourself and I just remember uh, me and my friends at, at the time I was you know 10 years old, so I think we were really into Nerf guns. And uh, we, we would like film ourselves with Nerf guns and doing prank videos and stuff, whatever. Classic kid things. But uh, the important part was that, you know, we were learning the creative process early on and uh, getting comfortable with those tools. But after that, I uh, really found my passion for photo video stuff when I was uh, probably around 12 or 13. I got really into uh, nature and wildlife, went on a family trip out to Yosemite, and uh, I just remember stealing my dad's camera the whole time, trying to capture epic shots out there because the landscape was just so beautiful. And then in 2011, um, 
my family moved to Wrightsville and I immediately, like we, we lived on the marsh so I could see the water every morning and right near Masonboro, right in the inlet and I just remember, you know, waking up to the water every morning and it looked different every time I was out there. And I was like, this is crazy, waking up to something new every day in the same place. And uh, that's kind of initially what drew me to surf photography and shooting in the water was just, you know, you never knew what you were going to get every time you went out there. It was always different. Well, dude, let, let's let's hang out here for a second on this, this aesthetic of water concept because it sounds like the aesthetic of the water and its constant changing was the thing that got you into the space. And what, what can, can you hone down a little bit more about, like, what that is to you, the, the aesthetic of water? Absolutely, yeah. I think um, the cool thing about the aesthetic of water is, like, the present moment it brings you in you know you're you're out here you don't know what's coming you don't know what's going to happen and um stuff pops up and like you, you you can't prepare for anything you know and uh i think that's what always drew me to it was like the element of not knowing like kind of the the adventurous sense in it in the search and that search uh, for, for beautiful shots in the water. And also, you know, just like, especially living on the East Coast, our water is constantly changing a lot. Like we don't have much consistency in swell, wind, anything. So it's like every day is so different. And um, there's just so many ways to capture water that you start to realize it's like an infinite endeavor crazy dude you're you're like hitting the nail on the head and really like what you're driving home that i never really thought about is the way you're describing it sounds like the experience of surfing like surfing surfing is uh you never know when the wave's coming yep. you just got to react to the water and the search for the aesthetic with of water is kind of like the pursuit of surfing right and Absolutely. and you're a surfer yeah uh, that's why i think you just described that so well when when did you really um when did the two merge in your world of your love for surfing and your love for, for capturing? Because, guys, I've seen Jake, like, he's gone all over the place. He'll show up in the Outer Banks when you least expect it. He'll be on the south end, like, shooting the point with, like, red cameras. And, like, your, your passion runs deep. But I want to take it to the first, the first bit. Absolutely, yeah. I remember really started getting into water stuff. Um, 2011 right when we moved here I remember for Christmas that year I asked for a GoPro and um, as soon as I got that GoPro you know I had just moved to Wilmington and I was kind of just getting into surfing all my friends have been surfing since they were little groms they were ripping way hot harder than me getting sponsorships and stuff like that so I just started filming then instead and um, that's kind of how I became the, the filmer of the group you know it was just uh, by design almost and then you know slowly as I started progressing in surfing I also was progressing in my you know water shooting and started shooting out of the water a lot more started incorporating drone stuff into my surf stuff shots and um, yeah so just kind of grew from there how, how are those early days shooting with the GoPro because there's so many limitations and like now now you have so much more experience with lens zooming like right. the, the the gopro for those of you who might be listening like has a very um wide angle that that's fixed and um 
it gets a lot of shots, but it's also limiting in its um, application. So kind of like how, how did that open your mind? And then when were you like, oh, I need to upgrade to something different? So I think the GoPro was a great start as a kid uh, just because it allows you to go in the water and get shots without necessarily A, investing a bunch of money, but B, having the world, oh, we got some water coming in. B, you don't have to really think about what you're doing with the camera as much. It's kind of point and shoot. So when you're first getting into, you know, shooting in the water, it's really important to be comfortable in the elements and to learn, you know, how the water moves, how the ocean works and everything. So I feel like the GoPro was awesome because it allowed me to, you know, really hone in those skills before getting all the technical camera stuff dialed in, which comes along pretty easy later on. And at this time, you, um, you're, in, you're in high school, you're swimming, you're surfing. Did you know you wanted to get into video or did, did you have other ideas? So I had always been really into video work and photo stuff. Um, I kind of stuck with that passion off and on and surfing definitely kept me with it the longest. Um, but then when it was time to go to college, I actually, for my first year, decided I was going to go up to the mountains in Boone and I studied sustainable technology, which is something else I'm also super interested in. You know, I'm, you know, thinking of how to live sustainably and how humans are supposed to interact with the earth and live here to thrive, not survive. I think that was a super important thing to me. Uh, so we're talking Appalachian State. That's right. Okay. Yes. And, and did they have a special program for that? They did, yeah. It was called Sustainable Technology. Um, then I only spent my freshman year there, but I still had some great insight from a few classes. A couple of design courses that actually influenced my, my thought process on a lot of things and a couple uh, sustainability courses. But I, I still, you know, use those things I learned to this day. And, and what, what kind of were those particulars? Um... Just how to, you know, it doesn't really involve necessarily photography or videography, but it's more just about living sustainably and um, learning how to be more localized in our consumption, you know, consume local and um, support local economies and environments, as well as, you know, learning different ways to protect things. But ultimately, the best way to protect is to implement different systems where it'll last forever right where you have a mutual relationship with your environment so um, yeah so how, how does how did video connect with that space because they you know from afar seem different but from uh yeah tell, tell me well for me um video is a way to tell a story and i've was learning these things at the app. And um, I thought a lot of the information I was learning is kind of like crucial knowledge for all humans. It's not really something that should just be learned in university by a very niche major. So I started, uh, you know, going to get more into video because I was like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, there's a way to promote this in a way that's more engaging for people. And luckily at the time, you know, you started to see a lot more creators um, focusing on this kind of trend. So, you know, uh, being more environmentally conscious was 
trending on social media already. And yeah, just kind of went from there. So what, what's like an example of a project where you could uh, deliver a message like that? And what are ways in that project where you could make it something that kind of seems like, I, I don't want to say boring, but something that's kind of like textbooky and turn it into something interesting? Well, you know, there's, there's always the, uh, the viral method of doing things, right? Which is, you know, do something big, get a bunch of eyes on it, and use that, those eyes to create awareness towards something, you know? So, like, doing some big extravagant thing where you're, you know, try and get a bunch of funding for something or do a big giveaway, and then, you know, you utilize all those eyes and that audience gained in order to, you know, promote a good message or something powerful. Uh, but they can also be used in other ways, you know, like, for instance, um, just an example of an idea that I've been working with lately is um, learning about the horrible environmental impacts of, like, golf courses. Really? Tell me more. Uh, just with, you know, how they're maintained and all the fertilizers and pesticides. They just, like, they basically destroy the ecosystem that they're in, you know? And um, I've been talking to people about potentially making a little documentary where we highlight the, um, we highlight the difference between disc golf courses and regular golf courses. What was the first one? Disc golf. Disc golf, yeah, got like you. Frisbee golf. Yeah, yeah. So um, trying to promote Frisbee golf because of how the course design and the sport culture you know, brings in environmentalism and conservation. Yeah. Whereas regular golf is actually, you know, really bad for the environment. And apparently, I, I just heard about this yesterday, but China is actually talking about cutting down all of their golf courses. China. China. Wow. So, um, you know, it could be something interesting there that they start implementing disc golf into their culture. Um, as a big sport, but yeah, it's, it's very popular in like northern European countries. Um, maybe because they just saw that how bad golfers courses were earlier on. But I could definitely see it being something that grows here. But it's more about you know instead of just talking about how a golf course was bad, you know, we're talking about a new way to implement it, right? We're talking about these new ways of doing things that kind of you know shed a new light on it. Don't make it seem like they're just trying to bash golf. Yeah. You know, try and make it like a, a hero story about disc golf instead of making it a like like condemning people who play golf and then they get defensive because uh, just just thinking about this, um, I, I conjure people out there who might be listening like, oh, I love golf, it's my passion. Yeah. How can you say such things about how I'm hurting the environment? But um, no, I totally see that the fertilizers get in the water and. Uh, and it kind of goes to all kind of social issues. It's like, how do you approach something that is, um, you know, one side might feel strongly one way, then the other side feels strongly the other way. Exactly. And per perpetuate a narrative that's like educational, but not um, demonizing. Right. Yeah, the goal isn't to, you know, patronize or demonize. The goal is ultimately to get people to do the right thing, you know? So. Showing them what's bad usually just makes people fed up and angry. Whereas, you know, giving positive solutions 
typically gives better results. So, so that's your current like social passion project. Um, uh, we can go back to that here in a second, but I want to kind of go back to like you left App State. Um, what, what, why was that? I missed the beach. I was driving home every weekend to come surf and uh, shoot water stuff. I was making a six-hour drive twice a week just to come home, be by the water. So after my freshman year, I was like, as much as I love the mountains, it's not for me. I'm a beach boy, and uh, I came back. You're like, what am I doing? Uh, and and you got to UNCW. Yep. You you got into their film school. I did, yeah. And and how how was like that big contrast? I guess you know environmentally, you got to where you want to be, but how was that? How was UNCW? Uh, different than App State? Oh, totally different. I mean, um, especially what I was studying for film. You know, film is such a creative degree. Um, it's such an expressive major where, like, all of your work is uh, subjective. And at App, you know, doing sustainable technology and stuff, we were learning about, you know, the efficiency of solar panels and, like, learning how to calculate that kind of stuff. So, totally different. Uh, majors, but I definitely felt like I was uh, on the right path when I came back and started getting into film. I quickly started, I remember it was my, heck, my first year in the film major, and I was already, you know, doing camera operator stuff for all the senior projects and everything. So I felt like I was on the right path. I felt like everyone was, you know, doing me as a camera operator, which is what I wanted to be. M music camera operator. Is that like uh, like music videos? Not just no, not just for music videos. For like student film projects and stuff. Um, I just started, you know, hopping on everyone else's projects as a camera person, getting as much hands-on experience as I could, meeting as many people as I could. And how much of of the schooling is um, learning about the classics, learning about like classical editing techniques? Because yeah. like like shooting is one thing editing is another thing and can you tell us a little bit about that like how you were taught and then maybe how your ideas regarding the two have changed yeah i, I feel like in film school at least at ucw it was about 75 percent studies critical studies so it'd be like french cinema or african cinema and then it was like 25 percent actual technical you know production courses where you learn the editing you learn the producing you learn the the camera side of things so it really taught you how to tell a story you got the tide coming yeah in. the tide is coming in <laughs> it uh it really taught you how to tell a story in a bunch of different ways ultimately through a bunch of different eyes and it kind of showed you the you learn like the artist's vision in a way and how to bring your vision through film in different ways based on like you know, all these different things going on and like how all these different artists at different times utilize different techniques in order to get their story across in unique ways. So would you say like the ultimate purpose of the filming is uh, an expression one and then a st telling a story two? I think telling a story is the first. Interesting. I think telling a story is the most important thing by far. But I think um, using the story to express yourself is also important. So, like, the story won't feel authentic unless you actually are expressing 
you know, your true personality through there. Yeah, you know, people will catch on to that. So, yeah, always focus on the story first, but self-expression is just as... So is there always a story to tell embedded in something? Oh, of course. Because, like, cause like, something as a, as a person who's out there creating, I'm always like, oh, well, I don't see a story here. But, like, if I dig deeper, I think there's always something I could find. And it might be, like, my own uh, momentary attitude towards the situation that might kill a, uh, a creative thought or a creative, a creative idea. Can you talk to kind of that and how you get into a frame of mind that enables your creative spirit to to make something uh, to make something a story yeah i think um in order to tell a good story i think you have to find what about what you're doing kind of grabs you and pulls you in emotionally you know what what part of that story really brings you in in that experience and like figure out how you're going to convey that to people because there's always going to be something there whether it's a small feeling um, but like, like for instance, here's a good story, um, back on the disc golf train, total tangent here, but, um, me and my brother over the break, we actually built a, like a little disc golf style course in my backyard. And the whole time I was going to make a little video talking about, Oh, we built a cool disc golf course in our backyard. But as I made it, I realized it was slowly about, you know, spending time with my brother who's now living somewhere else and you know he's older i'm older growing up we might not have these experiences together and the story quickly became you know do something fun with those people that are important to you versus you know oh we built a crazy disc ball course in our backyard you know so i think and the second is it is more relatable and i and exactly. is, is it relatability a factor to something being i Definitely. guess shareable like yeah i think you know anyone can relate to those kind of human emotions that people feel like it's it's a very common thread so i think you know focusing on you know the big story is always important but then like bringing those things in really like draw people to the story well said so be open for uh to evolve um the the, the improv there was clear you changed the the, the direction yep. um so good so good now let's um how do you you know you go back to the schooling the schooling seems so much of a uh preparation in long form um content you know right. you're talking movies that are like a short movie in that world is like 10 minutes right like and in, in this digital age like that's long form it is so how in this in this world that you've now um become in, involved in how how's a creator does one um, oscillate between the two? Well, luckily for me, uh, I've grown up with ADHD, so I have a very sporadic short-term brain anyways, so this new jump to short, shorter form content is awesome for me. Like, as far as from a creative standpoint, um, I'm able to think of more powerful things in a shorter form than I am of like drawing it out in a long form concept. So at least for me, it hasn't been that much of a transition, but uh, as far as film school goes, you know, they don't really teach you anything as far as the whole social media side of uh, content creation goes, which is, I'm sure, going to change as the industry is changing right now. You know, you already see it with all these strikes and stuff going on. Um, and then these YouTube channels are growing so rapidly. It's like 
slowly these YouTube channels are just going to start phasing out these production companies because they're getting so much revenue from views and products and you know merch and all this stuff. They're, they don't really need an actual production company to be behind their stuff anymore. So you're going to start seeing more and more people switching over to you know, where they might have worked on a TV show or worked on features before. I think you'll see more and more people start to work in the content creator uh, realm. And so what you're saying here is instead of uh, 20th Century Fox getting the money in L.A., uh, YouTube is going to be more of like a, a, a platform where the work is done and the creator is, is, the, is the central entity and YouTube pays him based on clicks and views and then sponsorships can come in on the back door and that's the business model. Pretty much. I mean, you know, it can change based on every channel. You know, you can have different ways of making your revenue, but I think ultimately that uh, the social media side of things is going to continue to grow and we'll continue to see a slow phase out of uh, traditional entertainment system as we know it. We already kind of saw a little bit of this transition back in like 2012, 2015, when everything went to the streaming platforms. And I think that change is just going to continue to grow as these social media platforms become more and more just uh, massive places for people to, you know, create productions. Okay, so if, if, this, um, if this world was a human, where are we in the phase of development? I think uh, right now is kind of like the Wild West. So are they, are they infants or are they teenagers or like? We're, we're in the middle stage right now. It's like the, uh, the preteen growing phase. Interesting. Where like things are shooting up really fast. You're seeing a lot of growth in a lot of these larger channels. The number of channels, um, and the number of people engaging in this content. But I think we're still early on in the stages of where we see it, you know, leveling out. I don't think we know where that cap is yet at all. I think it's going to continue to kind of stagger its way up. And as far as the type of content, I could see that changing as well, too. Uh, just with, you know, current trends and stuff. But I also think that, you know, as more and more people get on these platforms, like, for instance, one uh, niche that's kind of blown up lately, I don't know if you've seen any of these, is like long-form outdoor survival videos. Yes, and actually, it's funny you say that. I saw, I guess, a really premier one at my in-law's house on Christmas. It was uh, some, uh, some like, guys in their late 20s with families living in uh, Alaska. Yeah. And I was like, dude, this is... It's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. It's super cool stuff. And you're starting to see, um, I mean, probably the most, the fastest growing one right now is Outdoor Boys channel. And they are, you know, doing millions of views on every video, tens of millions of views on every video. And he's just a dad that has a GoPro and he goes out in the woods in the bush in Alaska and films videos. And, um, you know, 10 years ago, if you would have told someone that they could post an hour long video of themselves camping in the Arctic alone with a GoPro, like that 
would never you would never think that'd be a viral video okay so i haven't seen this is does he edit it does he chop it up or is it just like an bit. hour does, like no, it's like how much editing is going on they're still editing you know a three-day trip probably gets cut down to a 30 to 50 minute video but as far as you know content goes that's still long form that's that's still a lot longer than a 30 second TikTok or a 30 second instagram reel well, let, let, let's go there for a second because like anyone who's interested in doing something as such, like I guess the first step is getting the long form. The second step is you can chop that long form up into reels. Right. You know, you can get a bunch of reels out of this interview we're doing. Right. Um, yeah, people often call that, um, they'll like, if someone's got, you know, a book releasing or a film coming out, they'll hop on the podcast train. You know, like a lot of these celebrities will do a cycle where they're basically just shamelessly not even promoting them themselves or the product, like the film or whatever, but they're they're trying to make just like viral little one-word blurbs in these long-form podcasts for people to then go in and cut it out. I think it's called the Andrew Tate effect, actually. Yeah, yeah. Because he was kind of the one where he didn't have like an Instagram or TikTok or anything, and I'm not promoting Andrew Tate. Right. He was the one that kind of, uh, started that trend of not even posting your own content, you know, putting out like really kind of saying these controversial things that get people rised up and then making other other people just do it for you. And um, so I think the short form content comes from like creating those little viral clips. Because then other people know that that will go viral, viral. And on YouTube, you can take content and if you remaster it, it doesn't affect copyright. Right. Yeah, so you can you can post someone else's work on there in a different form. And, put music um, to it, music chop to it, it up, and it's yours. But at the end of the day, that's still that person's face on there. It's free advertising for them, and, and that's why they're stoked and not yeah. hitting you with a lawsuit. Yeah, exactly. yeah. They're like, all right, you're just working for free basically right now, giving me some free uh, exposure. And that person putting it out is almost like their own independent um, media outlet. Exactly, yeah. And that uh, that could be a trend as well with the, the rise of all of this and kind of the downfall of the legitimacy of media as we've seen over the past few years. You know, less and less people actually trust media outlets now more than ever. So it's like, where do people go to in those times? And like, I feel like we're, we're starting to see more and more independent outlets that are kind of allowing... Uh, a unique perspective on things and when you spend time with someone in a long form content you feel like you get to know them you feel like you trust them and uh with with news as it has become uh people don't trust the news but right. but they're humans so they if they spend time with someone they start trusting them right and uh yeah that's such a such a thing so that's what's interesting like that personal engagement side on social media that other news outlets have never been to they never been able to do that before, you know, attach that personal side to things. And like at the end of the day, it's it's a person clicking that upload button. It's not a media conglomerate. So in a way, even though it might seem less legitimate, uh, I feel like more and more people are starting to, you know, trust that side of things. So like you're 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 environmentally minded, you're progressive thinking. Uh, you two or excuse me, um, you know, Elon Musk buys X. He, he changes it and makes it more free speech. 
kind of what's your um, your view on on all that? Because like a lot of uh, I guess so-called you know conservative-minded people might be more into that, whereas like you have your traditional old-school liberals hating on it. Um, how how do you view that that scene of uh, anything goes on a platform? Yeah, I'm, yeah. like zero censorship. Zero censorship. Right. I'm all for free speech and stuff. I think. Ultimately, what we have to think about is it's it's sad that we're at the point where humans are able to post that stuff in good conscience. You know, I think it all ultimately comes down to like a root problem there. Whereas, like, I don't think it should necessarily be social media platforms' job to censor the content. I think that like there's a, a, a human like natural thing going on there where like need to figure out why people are wanting to post those kind of things like the hate speech and stuff in the first place and like get to the root of that versus demonizing oh, a platform right right exactly like you can't just say it's x's problem because they allow free speech or it's x's problem because they you know prohibit free speech ultimately it's that person who posted that problem at, at the end of the day so guys, those of you joining this live TikTok, this is Speaking From Water, episode 30. I'm with Jake Stevenson, expert Hello. water photographer, expert drone pilot. Uh, he, he works for all the biggest names in the social media world as a freelancer. And we're gonna go there on your own personal business side here in a second, but I wanna go um, back to these platforms. But before we do that, smash that like, you're listening in the future hit subscribe all those uh, all those things that make this channel viable for the future this is episode 30 and this is the first time I've even asked for such a thing because uh, I'm speaking with Jake and he's a, a social media expert and I'm being told that's what you need to do to get your podcast out there so hit that heart button live on TikTok. I'm your host Sean Rudke EDA surf this is speaking from water now back to the show so we're talking platforms we're talking TikTok. We're live on TikTok right now. Uh, all the platforms are kind of like they're throwing spaghetti at the wall. Uh, they're trying to see what what works. You know, um, TikTok comes out, then Instagram uh, Reels tries to mimic that. They they they're pretty successful there. You know, they're all trying to like you know. Then the shorts on the YouTube come out. Um, TikTok's has is opening with the live. Uh, it, uh, Instagram has live that's less successful. The algorithms do different things. Speak to what these conglomerates, these, uh, excuse me, these social media platforms are doing because they, they are going to become the future 21st century Fox, the future Paramounts. Like, right. like, do you, do you think they have a, an idea of what they're doing or are they just trying to see what's, what's going to pop off? Yeah. This kind of touches back on earlier. I was talking about how it's kind of in the wild west phase right now where a lot of stuff is just being tested out. And you know, you could think of it as like the gold rush back in the day, right? Like with all of these new uh, updates constantly coming to these platforms and changes in the algorithm, I think it's important to be on top of trends. And you know, if you're on top of the trends and you're like posting good content on those trending uh, platforms, you're gonna get, odds are you're gonna get good engagement. You're gonna see growth right now. Uh, you could see rapid growth 
Just like, you know, people striking gold back in the days, there's a lot of people striking gold on social media right now. Um, hitting it big on, you know, small things. And I think the most important thing with that is, you know, finding these trends and what the algorithm really wants and then putting your own spin on it, making some original content that makes the, the, the platform shine, right? Like you wanna make something that like utilizes everything that's going on in it. So you wanna make sure you have, you know, engaging sound effects and titles and captions. You wanna, you wanna make sure you're doing the most with it, um, but in your own way, you know, like make it unique, make it engaging in your own way. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, still in those wild west stages of things. So you mentioned the algorithm. Do each of the algorithms do different things and do they hit different notes? Like how does one, because um, if you put a video on, say you make a reel and it goes viral, you, you might put that same reel on TikTok and it, and it goes flat. So like, do you need to one, make content separately for these things that is, has its own bent on what the algorithm is looking for? And then two, how do you judge like what the algorithm is looking for? Right. Yeah, it's you know, sometimes it's kind of a crapshoot at that point. You you can't predict fully unless you have you know a bigger following. It's tough to predict when those things are really going to go viral. But you can always try to follow those trends and incorporate those trends. Um, I think that's going to be your your best bet. So, I guess if if you are a content creator. Uh, the, the lesson there is make, do the art. Absolutely. You can't expect to make a post one time and then for it to pop off. Yeah, I remember back in the day, this was probably 2016, um, my friend Javier Rodriguez, shout out to Javi. Yeah, I know Javier, big ups, dude. Yeah, um, he told me a while back, he was like, you just need to put it out, man. The put it out method. You know, when in doubt, just post it. Like, quit, quit overwatching it, quit overthinking it. Ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, people aren't going to be coming over every single shot. No one's going to. They're going to be swiping up. No one's going to be looking as much as you are at the details. Just focus on the bigger picture. Put it out there. And at first, that is the most important thing. Now, I'm not saying spam the internet, right? Like, don't be posting the same video multiple times. You want to post consistent quality content, right? It's not about just posting something to put it out. You have to have a good idea. You have to have, you know, important things that are ultimately, oh, there's my mom. Hey mom. Let's go say what's up. Great, great to see you, Miss Stevenson. Hey. Sean Rudke. Yes, yes, nice yes. guys, hello. How serendipitous. We're doing yeah. TikTok Live right now. And yeah. we're doing a podcast. I don't know if, if you uh, knew we were doing this today. Yeah, so this is completely random. She just came out of wall, watch the sunrise. Here. I do this every morning. No doubt. So this yes. is truly a serendipitous yes. moment. Yes. Wow. Oh, yeah. This is well. like, okay, glad to be here. <laughs> I'm just getting some red light yeah. and some grounding. And yeah, so, so this is a thing right now. And uh, my, my gimbal just broke. But what is the importance to you of the grounding and then the morning looms? I mean, it's amazing, number one. But grounding, I mean, I think it's kind of what we're designed to do. You know, I mean, our bodies need to be connected to the earth. So I think it's a little bit of just connection, you know? And the red light, I mean, the best red light therapy is the morning sun. So, Got that yeah. right. 
So yeah. it's a very primal thing that goes back very primal. millions yes. of years, yes. and we as modern humans have forgotten it. Thousand percent. Forever. Yeah. You're live right now and then you'll be forever in the future. Okay. Very cool. Well, good luck. How do I watch it from now on? How do I look at it? We'll send you a link when I post it. it. Yeah, I got to edit it. Okay. Love you, Mom. Great seeing you. Hold up. Are we still live? Yeah. Did your gimbal break? I think my gimbal's, my battery's dead. Hold on. Uh Let me see if I can go back to it. And, uh,. We are live on TikTok. We just ran into Jake's mother. Yep. And that was super cool, man. Yeah, she's she's always been a morning person. She's out here watching the sunrise like every day. Uh-oh, is your gimbal broken? Yeah, gimbal's broken, but have no fear. We will go gimballess and we'll just have a little bit of a camera shake, which will be fine. But um it's totally natural. Yeah, we gotta go, we gotta go uh, back to first principles here. No gimbal. But we were talking about platforms. We were talking about the, the going viral and how like you can't expect to do such. And really, that shouldn't be the goal, right? No, no. Like, what, what, what should be the goal? Uh, the goal, in my eyes, is always to put something out that you would click on, right? So like, be the audience, be the consumer side of things. Uh, you want it to be exciting, engaging, Wanted to feel real and authentic, you want to have a story. Um, but ultimately, I, it would, I always try and look at it through my eyes with who the audience is. You know, like, would I be stoked on that video? Would that, like, get me excited? Would, does this have something that makes me want to share with my friends in it? Um, ask yourself those questions and it'll help you out a lot. Does it help if you're passionate about the thing? Of course. Passion is. Passion and authenticity are both infectious. You know, I feel like people gravitate towards them naturally. So if you're able to post and create stuff that you're passionate about, like find your niche and just go crazy with it. You know, like it's all about diving into that niche. For instance, you know, water, the aesthetic of water. That's your thing, right? If you've been doing that for over a decade now. It's it's why we do this this podcast. Exactly. So that's the niche and ultimately you know you're going to thrive in your niche so much more than you would just posting general stuff that you know might hit might not with everyone but focusing on those things and you know really just trying to stick with them so passion's ideal but we live in a world of uh, of business and you're a freelancer i'm sure you've come across jobs where you you didn't um, I guess you weren't maybe passionate about the subject matter. And my question to you is, in those certain situations, how do you foster the creative spirit? How do you foster the artistic uh, birth in you to make such great content in, a, in, in that framework? So I think it's really important during those times uh, when you might be not feeling inspired or passionate about what you're doing to to find the little thing in there that keeps you going. Um, find that little spark, you know, even if you're shooting for, uh, say you're shooting something 
really boring. Like, uh, well, get, get, give me a story. Give me your your the most boring thing that, that you've had to do to, to make money in the world of videography. Oh gosh, I've done some pretty boring things. Um, I've shot multiple, you know, graduation commencement ceremonies and stuff like that. Um, I used to do these lives where I'd go live for like hours on end for uh, the city. And for what? For the city, like for their Facebook page uh -huh. and everything, and then just kind of going around live. And um, in those moments, I think it was just important for me to find something creative, whether like, for instance, when I was doing those lives for them, um, they kind of wanted me just to go walk around, not really talk at all, just show what was going on at different events. But instead, I started like going up to people and engaging with them in conversation and you know, just doing more with it. And I think that brought me uh, a sense of fulfillment from it. And it, it made me enjoy the work a lot more. Epic, epic. So what, where do you, um, I guess, like, what's the promised land? Is, is there a, like, like what's, what's in your mind your ultimate, like, goal with, with your project? I mean, I think... And then by project, I mean, like, Jake Stevenson, the artist, his project to life. Right, right. I think, I mean, my goal in life is just to leave the place better than I, like, when I got here. So, any way that I can use videos or film to tell a story that engages people or makes them aware of something or helps someone in any way, um, that's super important to me. You know, like, even doing non-profit work and stuff like that, I don't mind doing any of that just because uh, it gives you a sense of fulfillment that a, a paid job might not be able to do. Um, so I think it's important to, to do that side of things as well. But yeah, final goal, I, I, I've always had a passion for the outdoors, We're working with outdoor brands and stuff. Ultimately, I've, I'm, I've kind of been fed up with, you know, traditional marketing lately and like guerrilla style marketing and just in your face stuff everywhere like trying to promote products because um, on social media you see that now more than ever it's just like you're constantly being shoved stuff so I think what's really cool with, to me is when people are able to sell you a product without selling you a product you know, they might not even talk about the product in the video might just be, for instance like um, I remember watching surf video online. I don't even remember what it was. I was just deep in YouTube watching surf videos. And I found this one where this, this guy was like um, at this remote spot in Portugal and anyways he he like had this this coat on or something that had like a sick little attachment on it and I was like what is that? And then I ended up you know looking it up myself and buying it not because he was promoting it in any way just because it was like natural content to seemed like someone that I, I could trust or get along. Like I would get along hanging out with him in general. So I'd probably like something if he did too, you know? Wow, man. So you, you just you just laid down really, I think, what the future of of marketing and buying stuff is going to be. Uh, and and let's go back to like what you don't like because I want to talk again about what, what that is and what, what is good about what you just described. Uh, so right now, you, you got like a company say, um, like... I'm, I'm into uh, the concept of uh, ice bath and the sauna. So right now on Instagram, I'm just bombarded with these like home uh, sauna ice bath things. 
And it's just like, they're showing me the product. They're showing me the, 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 the chick in the bikini, like getting out of the hot tub. It's just like right. dopamine, swap, swap, swap. And it, like, it, it, it is off-putting. Like I kind of wanted it, but now I'm like, it's too, off, it's too much. So, so they probably spent a lot of money on the creation of all that. Yep. They're spending a lot of money for me to even view it. Yep. And at the end, the end game, I'm not buying. So like, right. so the future of marketing as you just described it previous is going to be people who have credibility doing using something that they can actually credibly enjoy right. and then their people who trust them buy it exactly like put it this way if you're getting all these targeted things for a cold bath would you be more likely to watch a video where someone is like check out this pre-made cold bath i brought it lowe's for x amount of dollars or would you watch how to make a DIY ice bath at your house where it gives you like how-to instructions, you know, and it and engages you in a completely different way? So, the, the, back to the platforms. The platform that I think is doing that the most right now, or they want to do it the most, is the TikTok shop. Yes. Are you familiar with the TikTok shop? Yes, yeah. So, tell, like, I've been diving deep into TikTok shop. Uh, we're on TikTok Live right now. Shouts out, TikTok, smash up that heart button. Uh, like, where where do you see? Because because like they're gonna pretty much wrap and package what you just described. Their algorithm is gonna take the the people who go most viral, and it's gonna set them up in a loop with the people who want to sell something. So it's like they're gonna hyper do what you just described. Right. And um, tell me a little bit about what you think about all that. Yeah, I think right now it's it seems super fake and staged almost. Like I, I feel like a lot of the targeted ads for TikTok shop that I get are typically like kind of like they're almost like sped up. They look a little fake. They're like not really engaging. Or they, they are, but not like uniquely engaging. They're all kind of similar in engagement. And um, I think that's just because it's early on. And I think TikTok is pushing it for a lot of people at like all levels of the platform so like it's not just the top one percent of tiktokers that are with out there with tiktok shops right now it's like all of these people are and people are just kind of getting at any lower level person can like all these uh like timu apps and stuff like that i think are uh just kind of infiltrating that lower level in the masses you know so like content isn't great for TikTok shop right now in a lot of ways in a general sense but I feel like it will get better with time um just as those things continue to grow like for instance I know with YouTube um people used to be with ads you know it used to be kind of generic it was, some of them still are like this was sponsored by so and so but people now a lot of times are incorporating the advertisement into the episode itself so like, they'll do an entire bit that's unique, that has other good content in it, that also just so happens to be the sponsored bit in the video. You know, so that way, it's keeping people engaged, but at the same time, it's also allowing you know uh, a product placement to be there in a in a more natural way. So let's take. Uh Let's take my entity, for instance. You know, I, I do water photography. My main business is taking water pictures. Right. 
in selling water pictures. And it's, it's predominantly my customer base is in this local Southeastern North Carolina region, predominantly because that's where I physically am and physically talk. Now, the TikTok algorithm pushes, pushes content out to people who don't necessarily follow you. So like, right. that's a big thing, I think. Like, whereas Instagram might do that a little bit, but they're primarily putting it out to uh, those who follow you. And then there's just so much content being put on Instagram every day. It's hard to like break right. in. So like- Now, I do think that Instagram feels, um, they, they do have the algorithm there. Pushing the thing out pushing the thing out. So Reels is a good place to spend time on as far as making content. Absolutely, but I, I do still think you're right about TikTok just being the, the front runner in that space right now. I think it's tough to beat the numbers on TikTok. It's tough to beat the algorithm right now. Um, so yeah, going live on here is definitely the smartest thing to do. Right, yeah, and, and more particularly in the in the world of selling art, like my, my goal with the TikTok shop is to you know, put the prints on the on the shop. Put the uh, all the things that I normally sell, but put them on the shop, and then have them be like, you know, drops drop ship context. Like, the, what what do you think about the drop ship context? And is that like a good lead to maybe the more of the art pieces that are ex- exclusive that aren't really suitable for selling on a TikTok shop? Yeah, I think the drop shipping is great. I think it's smart, especially with digital, not digital, but physical art on a digital platform and selling it that way. Um, I think, you know, what makes art valuable is its ex- exclusivity. And, you know, just like you had famous paintings back in the day, you can still have these one-off prints that you do, or, you know, these limited runs of prints and stuff that'll add value, hopefully, over time. But um, in a digital space still, you know, like it's, it's still a digital image that you're creating. So, so limiting the production of the digital thing is a key part of the physical. Yeah. Well, and digital, right? Well, yeah, like like you're promoting it digitally, you're selling it physically, right. but limiting like there's not going to be a million of these things made. You're you're promoting you're promoting fifty. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of doing the uh, like how people have always done with art. You know, it's it's still limited quantities physically, um, but you can kind of share it in any way possible. You know, like going back to the, the marketing thing. You've, done, you've been doing this longer than anyone as far as, you know, using this platform to get customers. Well, On social media is well, like- Dude, I mean, honestly, I was late to Instagram. I, they, that thing had been out for a number of years and then Chido at Surf City's like, Sean, why are you not on Instagram? I'm like, dude, I got the website. Like I'm on Facebook. Right. Like I, I, I do physical art shows and like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm one to come late to these parties and right. that's what I'm trying to change to you know get more on the forefront because like you know I'm, I'm i'm full disclosure 42 i was i was a full-grown man before uh, youtube existed and like I, i'm oscillating between these two digital spaces and um you know you'll you'll, you'll find boomers say oh i'm not into email because i don't like whatever and it's like you got to uh you got to embrace these futuristic things right and try them out or else you're going to be right. left behind and i don't think it's bad to act your age but you can act your age on the platform and still use it, you know? Yeah, totally. I think there's a space for everyone on here. Well, that kind of like brings my mind up to this, the newest thing on the block, which is the AI. Yes. And my question to you there is like, there's so many things you can do with the AI. And then there's so many things you can do with the AI in just the digital creation of, of content and thinking. Right. Like a lot of haters might say, oh, well, the AI is going to take away the, the artistic 
nature on things. And I'm, I'm coming from an angle that like, I think it can enhance the artist. It can up production flow. Yes. It can, it can make the artist make more art. I fully agree with you. I think that AI is ultimately going to be beneficial in that sense because uh, it still requires human input, right? Like it still requires a human to be there on the side of things, like actually putting in the information in order for it to create something for you. So it, it still allows for creativity. And I think it could be used as a, a very helpful tool in content generation and any creative endeavor because it just allows you to put your thoughts, you know, you can just kind of brain dump everything. And it, like, formulates ideas for you and in a way that you know could still be your own voice because of how you're putting things in now i think at the end of the day ai will never replace human creation i think they would work mutually together i don't think there's ever going to be a place where it's like i mean they will ai can make content and everything but i think yeah it'll it'll always be kind of obvious when the human is still has some input there so how are you using it today um, I've used AI recently. What have I used it for? I uh, used it to make uh, limerick poems for Christmas cards for people. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it, it worked really well for that, actually. Um, some ways I've used it for work is, um, you know, it's, it's really nice when I'm crossroads like kind of just creative like block. like like you're talking to the to the chat gpt and he's talking back and then ideas are sparking from that exactly like i think writer's blocks a real thing in any creative sense whatever medium not just writing so using that tool to kind of get past where you're at um even if you don't like the ideas that ai is coming up with i think it it still benefits your brain just to like almost like having a creative conversation with someone in a way and for those people who might not have used chat gpt4 or 3.5 and that that's the thing it's a it's a chat back and forth that accelerates your thinking whereas like when you're doing a google search you're more presented with things that you have to then cipher through and come up with so it's a it's a completely um dynamic process compared to the other absolutely so have you used any of these new AI tools that help edit? I haven't yet, no, I've, I've heard of, so I've been using, uh, like for Photoshop and stuff, I've used the AI tools in order to, you know, help get rid of stuff in images and replace stuff in images. It works great for that. Um, kind of scary, because I remember back in the day, we used to have to do the, uh, you know, content for your fills. We were constantly, you know, like, Do you know if they're using editing tools in, that are AI based? Oh, all, all the social media platforms are using AI. Sure. 
And I, I've seen these ones that like you can t you can pop long form content in, and then it'll spit out like it'll gauge what's yes. what's interesting. It'll put out clips for you. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, so have you found that or heard that that works well? Yeah, I have, and they have similar stuff uh, for photos too. Where you can just dump a bunch of photos into a software. It's called Culling, C-U-L-L-I-N-G. Yeah. Uh, when you're going through all the photos, and it, it just culls for you, picks out all the best, and uh, makes your life way easier. There's nothing worse than you know having to go through 4,000 images and that you're not passionate about. 90% of them almost look the same. Yeah, exactly. Well, let, let's go back to that passion large concept, like. When I take water photos, right. that's one of my favorite things to do is go back and, and look at each one of those shots because each one of those water pictures, back to the beginning of our conversation, has something unique in it. And right. like dopamine is just popping off in that situation. Absolutely. But say years ago when I might have shot a wedding that was not uh, interesting to me, right. like I don't want to look at that, that stuff again. Like, exactly. So. I guess depending on what you're doing, you go for that tool. Absolutely, and it's funny you say that because the person that introduced me to that software was actually using it to go through wedding photos because he was shooting so many weddings and was just fed up with it, you know, tired of looking at all these photos. Yeah. So he just, you know, put them in the software and it worked for him. But you're right, you know, there, there are certain things, and I think uh, there's water going in. I think when I'm creating uh, a lost kind of there. Oh, yeah. When I'm doing shots like any landscape, wildlife, shooting in the water. I always love, like my favorite part is going back and looking at the shots. I even have, I remember there's like this one photo of me, a friend took in high school, driving off Riceville and I just had my laptop like in my lap, already importing the photos after leaving the session. Cause like, I was just so excited. There's goose. Yeah, or like drives home from the Outer Banks where like I just like have the laptop out on the dashboard and we're looking through all the clips on the ride home because we're just like trying to see what we got, you know, because when you're out there shooting, it's so important to stay in the moment. It's not go through your photos because odds are you will miss the shot that you want. If, if you're that. looking out on the scene. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you need to be present in the moment. You need to be locked in and dialed because it's so easy to miss stuff. There's no double takes. There's no second chances with wildlife and nature stuff. So let, let's rewind again back to your days of shooting surf and water. I, I when I first met you, you were a lot in the water. You're you doing lots of water photography. I saw you numbers of years later. You were you're posted up like with a great like deep angle with a super telephoto lens shooting off a red camera. Uh, you know, so the the video and the photo world of surfing you've been been involved in. Like, how how do you view those two spaces? Yeah, it's changed a ton since I started. I mean, I remember back in the day on, on Wrightsville, when I first got into this, there was like only a few people that were doing it. It was like you and Chris Frick and... Uh, Let's not forget the godfather, DJ Strunks. Well, DJ, DJ was already moved up by then. Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah, exactly. Yeah, he'd already been he retired. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't even shooting locally as much anymore at that point. Right. But of course, DJ. Um, yeah, so kind of, you know, smaller space at the time. I was still super into it. And um, now you come out on a swell at South End and there's a dozen people out there with cameras. It's crazy. Um, I think surf culture and the lifestyle has uh, 
become a lot more popular over the past few years through social media and through creators promoting surf culture and surf lifestyle with, you know, the travel and living that it comes with. So I think we've just seen a big growth in uh, people in the industry. And then the fact that people cannot make their own content and put it out and that's becoming so popular, it's just bringing more and more people into the space. So to a person who's starting shooting surfing content, uh, there's a lot of um, building one's style, building one's own personal brand, one's look. What do you have to say about doing that? I think it's super important. Um, I would say try and, you know, find your, your, your angle on things, like try and find a unique angle. Um, like I remember when I first started getting into like the housing stuff, um, everyone was kind of transitioning over to like 50 millimeters and slightly tighter, shooting a little farther back. And then I slapped on, I just started slapping on a fisheye and was like getting tossed in the wave with people and just trying to get those shots. Like, just to me growing up, like in the magazines, those are always the most epic ones. Yeah, and the yeah. hardest to get. By far like you're gonna get maybe one photo yep. instead of like 10. Exactly. So like, I started switching it up like that and people started really liking those shots I was doing with the, uh, the fish eye. But yeah, just try and find your own unique route with it. And um, you know, another reason why I think it's gotten so popular lately is how much more accessible camera technology has become. I mean, back in the day, there was no such thing as an affordable water housing. You know, that just didn't even exist. There was, everything was thousands of dollars. And nowadays you can, you know, buy a water housing for a couple hundred bucks. You can buy a DSLR and a Zoom for a couple hundred bucks. I mean, there's just so much more access than a, a single GoPro that shoots in eight megapixels and video quality looks terrible so like on that note uh you 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 started in the water you're now pretty much like exclusively drone and how how did that go in your mind because like from my own personal life i when drones first came out i like i was gonna buy one i had one in my shopping cart online and i'd like i said to myself are you really gonna go here because like your whole deal is water your whole deal is being in the water like do you need another thing and right. is this gonna take you, Sean, away from the water and into the sky? And like, ultimately I didn't push the button. And right. from then on, I was like, I'm not touching a drone. Right. And then I find out today, like, you're water housing, you sold it and now you're flying. So like, right. how, how is an artist, like, what's that process like of buying equipment, selling equipment, deciding to go a new direction, yeah. oscillating, like, yeah. speak to that. So for me, um, the drone kind of started out as like, Side. I got my first drone, I think, in 2014, 2015. Or, yeah, definitely earlier than that, I was in high school. And um, I was just, like, always into it. Like, I was always into RC stuff from a young age. Flying things, driving things, whatever. So as soon as, like... Video games. Yeah, video you're, games. You're of the video game generation. Absolutely. So as soon as, like, combining that with video, like, I could strap a GoPro to this thing, it was just, like my mind was blown. And yeah. The technology just kept getting better and better and I stuck with it and then once I graduated college. I Wait, when did you get your first one? I got my first drone in I think 2013. Okay, so that's like early in the game. Pretty early, yeah. yeah. Phantom. Phantoms. Phantom 1. Yeah. DJI Phantom 1. I remember that. Yeah, you had to manually strap your GoPro onto the bottom. You couldn't see where you were flying on the screen or anything. But it was fun. That's what got me hooked. And then 
Since I graduated college, I had a bunch of friends uh, from film school that were obviously going into the industry. And everyone was kind of more focused on the camera side of things, wanted to be in the camera department. And I just saw the growth in drone stuff in, in the industry and saw that there wasn't many, as many people doing it around here at that level. And I was like, I'm gonna you know, go full force with it. And uh, ultimately led to me getting on Know, the biggest projects I've ever been on for sure um, it's been a fun ride so what are you operating today today my main drone is still a DJI inspired 2 um, haven't bought three yet but a lot of the production companies I work for uh, we just end up renting equipment whatever we need or they'll provide it so like what what's the biggest difference from say a, a, a one that you might need a rental on and one that you already own, like, do they all not do the same job? I mean, it's a pretty to, layman's question. No, yeah, to, to an extent they do the same job, but like for instance, the drones that we're renting, um, you can strap a cinema camera to them. So you can camera match, which a lot of people are looking for on bigger productions. And by camera match, the same camera used on the ground, the same look, only now the look's in the sky. Exactly. Yeah, so like, Getting that sort of consistency on bigger productions is what they want. So you have to, you know, use a bit much bigger drone to carry a cinema camera. Whereas mine, um, it still would be considered a professional level drone, but it's uh, a lot easier to operate. It has a little, much smaller camera on it. It gets the job done um, in most cases. And for like any like outdoor doc style or like style content, it's great. I think it's the biggest thing with uh, the drones is like, so for instance, um, with the Inspire versus like a Mavic, you know, with the Inspire, two people are able to operate it. So you're able to get a lot more cinematic movements because of that. Like one person is operating the camera, one person is operating the drone. Oh, interesting. They operate completely independently of one another. Wow. So like got persons, the artist isn't, con isn't concentrating on two things. They're just concentrating on one thing. Right. So, like, for surfing, that makes your life a whole lot easier. Because, say, you see, you can have the drone pilot watching out on the surf and looking for sets to come in and putting the camera in the wow. right place. And then you could have a camera operator that's making sure he's focused on the camera on the surfer, you know, tracking them the whole way down the wave. Um, so, it requires a bit of communication back and forth. But once you get the hang of it, uh, you get some really cool shots. That's, like, the best way to get... You know, I've done like some race car stuff, things like that. Um, it's a lot easier with two people. And now when, what, what, I would think maybe you always want to use that, but like what, what calls for that? What is the thing where you're like, okay, this is a job where we need that. Is it a Hollywood movie or is it a YouTube thing or it could be both? I mean, YouTube, those kind of drones, it's really, uh, you know, this kind of goes back to what we were saying, like some of these YouTube channels have production value close to Hollywood films at this point. So it's like everyone's using them at this point across all levels, depending on what you're working on. Um, yeah, these tools are useful in a lot more spaces than they used to be. And can you share with us a story from uh, one of these experiences where you're like, Dang, this is, uh, I can't believe I'm here right now, kind of thing. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Um, 
Well, one of them that was really special to me was getting to work on. Um, it was a uh, just a small episode for uh, for Nat Gia, uh, but it was local. It was like all on Masonboro. Yeah. So I was doing some drone stuff with that, and it was cool to have worlds collide there, where like you know you're going to. Was that the one with John Cheshire getting stung, yes. stung yes. by the jellyfish? Yeah. So, so like, dude, I, I was supposed to be in that because I was there on the time, but I, I was in a lifeguard comp in Florida. Oh, so I missed I miss that because the, yeah, I was there for that day that he got yeah. stung. That's crazy. It's a crazy yeah. story. Dude, so. it's a crazy story. He was so pumped. They flew him out to LA for that shoot. I know. Like the interview. Yeah. So uh, working on that was sick just because it like brought my two worlds together of like working on some of these bigger productions in my backyard yeah and your your home break yeah which was sick and there was a little wave that day so lunch break we all caught a few waves it was really nice yeah shouts out john cheshire shouts out andrew walden andrew uh so just context to this story we're talking about john cheshire and i and andrew and austin parker were all surfing in masonboro and john got stung by a by a blue jellyfish and like we we're all like oh dude like you'll be okay and man the guy basically almost died he was not okay he was not okay we we got him to the boat we rushed him to the coast guard station uh the late jeremy owens god rest his soul was waiting there ready to help and uh a couple years later nat geo calls up john and says i want to do a story and my man here jake uh filmed it so that's the context there. Sick. Yeah, it was a it was a full circle moment. Yeah, really. Where like I was able to, you know, work on a cool project for Nat Geo in the backyard with people I knew already on a cool story. I had been at Mace like a few hours before that actually. That was a great day. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, fall surf day. Classic Waves were really good. Day, yeah. It was warm. Everyone was in boardies. Yeah, that's why the jellyfish were out. Yep, yep. That south swell pushed them right in. So that, that brings me to my next kind of idea of like, for all those young people out there hungry, they're looking for, for jobs. Like, how do you, how do you pin your, your jobs? How do you work your way up the ladder of getting work? That's a good question. So for me, it, it all kind of came through word of mouth um, just because I've been doing it for a while. There's much better ways of doing it, I'm sure. Uh, but just from being in the industry for, you know, probably a good decade now, I just kind of got work through contacts and, friends who knew a producer looking for someone and it would just kind of grow from there organically but I think uh, there's so many websites nowadays that allow you to look for jobs um, like I know there's websites now that you can literally find work specifically for YouTube channels like staff me up was a really popular one for production for a while like TV and film there's multiple like that but now there's some even just specifically for YouTube where like different creators are hiring different positions. So if you're looking to get into a creative space, I would start there, learn from someone and kind of work your way up through it. Incredible, incredible. Um, what is the, I guess, the spot that you want to go next that you haven't been? Well, I'm going to ice on like two days. No way, that's your next so, deal. Yep. Uh, Bro. New Year's trip, I'm going up there. Is that work or pleasure? Oh. Sick. Yeah, me and my girlfriend are going up. Um, my goal is to get shot to the Northern Heights. They're really active this year. But we're working with volcanoes erupting and a full moon. So. Dang. I don't know if conditions will be 
perfect, but we're gonna try. So yeah, we'll be in Iceland next week, um, which I'm super stoked on, I've never been. Also going in the dead of winter just sounds like so fun to me. Yeah. I know it won't be as crowded. Um, it'll be like a you know frozen wonderland up there. So I'm super excited for that. Are you, are you gonna be surfing at all? No, too cold for me. Yeah. I can barely stand it around here. Um, I know the waves are good. Yeah, Chris Chris Burkhardt actually was like one of my first inspirations back in the day. I mean, he was kind of early on in that Instagram game. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember when I first got Instagram, like him and Clark Little yep. were like the two guys on it. And like, there was actually a point where I got really into Instagram early on and like we were all kind of like had a group chat going. Oh, dude, dude, that's so and sick. I wish I still had photos from that. Yeah. Uh, but it was like, they were almost giving me like a mini mentorship in a way where they would like, I'd send them photos that I took with my GoPro and they would critique them and everything. Heck yeah, um, man. You must have been young at that point too. I was, yeah, I was in high school. Dude. So cool, but I mean, those guys were, you know, they had 10,000 or less followers on social media. So it was a totally different and more accessible world back then. Right. Respect, bro. Super amounts of respect. And like, just from me looking at you, I got mad uh, inspiration because I was like, I, here, here I'm doing what I'm doing and I didn't really know what I was doing. Honestly, I honestly still didn't know what I'm doing. That's, but, that's life. Yeah, right? Yeah. And it's just like, it's all about inspiring people. And that's what this podcast is all about. That's where we're live right now in Wrightsville Beach. Um, We've been going about an hour uh, and 20 right now. We're, I'm going to keep going. Is that okay for a second? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you're going to Iceland. What is, um, you're not going to surf. The, the northern lights are your goal. Are you going to go to Blue Lagoon? It's actually closed right now. Oh, well, um, Because of the volcano activity. I don't know if you've seen any of that. No, I haven't. Tell, tell me about that and what's going on. Yeah, and last week there was a pretty major eruption. Um, I think it was like miles long or something and just cracking the earth open up and um yeah there was lava spewing out hundreds of feet in the air had to evacuate a whole town so uh pretty major eruption and unfortunately it's right near the blue lagoon so but luckily there's plenty of other hot springs and uh, so you're you're still uh able to yeah hey, i got some sea glass um you're still able to, to go to Iceland. That's not going to prevent you from going. No, it should be fine um, travel-wise. And, I mean, hopefully if there's, you know, the ability to see any of it up, up semi-close, you already know I'm, I'm bringing my telephoto lens and my drone and everything, so I'm going to do what I can to capture it. Are there are, are you in the hot springs? Are there other hot springs you can go see? Oh, tons. Yeah, and that's, that was kind of the plan all along. Was that when I travel places, I, I like to A try and find experiences that are really uh, culturally unique to the place, uh-huh. you know, to like try and dive in, become friends with people there. And then I also always am trying to like find something a little off the deep path, maybe go find a, find a trail and see what's down at the end of it. So obviously we say for safety first, you know, but where, like where, where else have you, path. where else have you been that you're uh, really stoked on that you could share? Um, I went this year actually to Africa 
um, working for Mr. Beast, doing drone stuff for them, which was sick. Um, going to these communities and getting to see the, the wells being put in. And, oh, I saw that. I saw yeah. that one. Yeah, so you were involved in that project. Yeah, I was on that one with them, um, doing some drone work for them. And it was sick just to, just to see the kids' uh, lives like literally being changed and capturing it. It was very humbling, uh, eye-opening experience. And, and this is water. You're giving water to people who don't have water. Yeah, you're giving water to someone that either A, has to go walk miles a day down a mountain in order to get it, or B, just doesn't have clean water at all and they're constantly sick from the drinking water. It's crazy how many people in the world still live like that. And um, it's cool to see a creator being able to use this platform to physically change the lives of thousands and thousands of people. So like, like I'm sure a lot of people there don't know who he was, know what he's all about. He's showing yeah. up, he's giving water. Like how much preparation I guess would go do something like that with the local community. Yeah, I'm sure there's a bunch of preparation. You know, I'm not really on that side of things that kind of show up. But there's a, there's a lot of preparation in that. I mean, just like you could go into these villages they like have you know full on ceremonies for you just when you arrive. They feed you these like big meals. And stuff. Because you're an outsider and they want to show hospitality. Yeah, and they want to show their thanks um, for the, the reason why we were there. Right. You know, putting in these freshwater wells. So yeah, it was a super cool experience. Um, if anyone gets the chance to do humanitarian work like outside of the country, I highly suggest doing it. Whether you can come along and doing video or whatever you want. I mean, just being like labor for it, even. Um, any way you can get out there and help is gonna be good for you and good for the people that you're helping. So like with, with something like that in mind and then your initial project that you were starting with the golf course is like, what might be a dream project that you could merge a, a large deal with and then uh, your, your uh, environmental passion? Yeah, I mean, I have it written down in a journal somewhere. I mean, my so you my, thought about this? Of course, yeah. My, my like, well, I have a five-year goal, which was to do a uh, campaign for Patagonia. And lately, I haven't really been doing anything towards that. I've just been kind of working on production jobs, but still in the back of my mind. And, and uh, why Patagonia and why, like, why choose that company? And, like, I guess why go with a company? Um, specifically Patagonia of the, uh, everything they represent stand for. Like, apparently, this is what I, I've heard through like, all my research I've tried to work with them already. They don't even have a marketing budget, which is sick to me. Like, they have a multi-billion dollar clothing brand that doesn't even have a marketing budget. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Like, make good products and make things that people will want to use and want to wear. Like, you'll have customers for life. Um, If I'm putting my name on something and putting it out there in the world, I want to be with a company or brand that uh, I respect. Are you familiar at all with uh, Kelly Slater's project and his clothing project? Outer Note? Yes. Yeah, of course. So he, he kind of seems like someone who would be into that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a bunch of people getting into the space. Um, and uh, there's just so many brands that you 
could work with in, in that realm. And I, I just think that, uh, again, doing the, this anti, I call it like anti-guerrilla marketing. Where it's like the exact opposite. You're like not telling someone to buy anything at all. You're just telling a story of why this thing is, is, is good for the, for the all. Not even talking about the product itself. It could be, you know, for like for instance, for like climbing gear, you could have a video of you know a big climber trying to do a big wall, and he just so happens to be using the product. Doesn't even talk about it or anything. But like it just gets in people's conscious. And then they want that exactly, in in a much more organic way than shoving it down your throat of. You need to buy this because it's 20% more durable and all of this BS. Now, do you think anyone could come to you with any product and you could kind of, you you could take that mentality or draw up a marketing strategy to it? Like, because you've clearly thought about this pretty deeply. Yeah, and I, I could, maybe. I don't know, I, I don't know. It depends on how bad the products are. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's some stuff out there that I, Okay, like, like, let's go back to, um, the, like, golfing gear. Like, how, how could you turn golfing environmentally sustainable? Would you have to completely change the whole, the whole culture of it? Oh, probably. Yeah. yeah I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's tough to hit a golf ball in tall woods and grass. But isn't that how it all started in, you're, you're, uh, you have Irish heritage, right? Do. Yeah, I honestly don't know much about the origins of golf. I should probably yeah, um, more into it. What is it? It's, uh, it, you know, came out from that land of, of Scotland because they always had nice green grass. Yeah. And it was natural to that, that space. Yeah. And that's how it all started was there. Oh, cool. And then, uh, you know, it, it, like all, all things got appropriated other places. And it is ironic because it's a, it's a game that people play to be out in nature. And everyone who plays it always talks about like how they love being on such a beautiful place. Right. And I, I did a, a stint in 2013 where I shot golf courses. Oh, wow. I went all to all the best golf courses in North Carolina. And that's all I could keep thinking about was like the amount of work that goes into making this thing. So a few elite people can spend a lot of money to be there right. because it's nature. Right. And I, I just, I never got it. And I could, that was a project that I couldn't get passionate about. Right. Uh, so how did you find passion in it anyway? Oh, I, I, I'll tell you. I, no, I, well, I did stop doing it. I tried to find passion by like waking up early, doing the sunrise with it, yep. applying the principles I knew from shooting the beach and right. seascapes. And I came out of uniquely and I, I did well, you know, people paid money for these pieces I made, but like at the end of the day, like it wasn't me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, the golf stuff is a tough space because it, I mean, like you're saying, it's, in a way you feel like you're getting outside and getting nature, but you're really not because all the nature that you're around is in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. While, we're, while we're on the subject in that of surfing, why is it do you think that so many surfers get into it? Uh, I mean, surfing is basically the exact opposite in a lot of ways where it's, you know, there's there's no human interference except for you know you out there on your board interacting with the waves. Um, so it's completely natural. And uh, I mean, for me, like when I first got started, just like feeling the energy of 
something moving me that was like generated from the earth. Um, well, I'm saying, oh, I'm sorry to, to, to interrupt you. Why are yeah. golfers, why are surfers getting into golf? Oh, surfers getting into golf. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of golf courses near the beaches. Um, I mean, it's a good way to get outside, but you, there has been a trend towards golfing um, with a lot of surfers. I've noticed that too over like the past 10 years. Like, they kind of go, the country club aspect of surfing has definitely become a thing lately. Uh, maybe that's just because of Slater being so good at it? Slater being so good at it, yeah. Just the, the growth of the surf industry now, you know, you like, people are making good money doing it and golf something that requires some money to do. Um, but for me, I mean, I grew up playing golf. So, so Jake, we're, we're back. This is, uh, this is the second part of the podcast, episode 20. Um, I want to talk to you just for a few more minutes about a, a few things and it, First, this iPhone I'm shooting on has changed a lot since you've started. And I, um, I'm currently shooting in the cinematic, however you say Cinematic. Cinematic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's how novice I am on the video side. Uh, so, like, when I first got this 14, I was blown away by this function and how it does this f-stop. Like, and I, I'm assuming there used to be a lens that, that would cost a ton of money because I know there's a lens in my photography world that you know about with the low f-stop. Oh, yeah. And like this thing creates like amazing videos. So like my question is how much work can get done on these phones today and like speak to that creation. I feel like, um, you know, one thing I've learned in the social media world is having high quality gear doesn't really matter. Ultimately, having a high-quality, engaging story is way more important. You're not going to get more views because your video was shot on a red versus an iPhone. If it's the same concept and it works, it's going to work. Um, you know, you got to use the right tools for every job. And I think for content creation, the phone is so important because it's right there. It's immediate. Um, anyone can use it, and it's the easiest way to get your story out there the quickest. So, don't be afraid to like film everything on your phone when you're starting out or even later on you know like even the biggest names in social media still use phones for uh content and and it, it kind of goes back to the principle that we started with there was you got to get out there and you got to make and you got to create and you got to post and the if someone wants to start out doing this, do they need to know what, what their ultimate goal is or do you think their goal is to is to just put it out there? Yeah, I think putting it out and documenting the journey is important. Um, I think you don't have to necessarily have a goal in mind, but just have some things starting out that you want to do to get the ball rolling and like just stick with it. Um, you really don't necessarily need to have like a perfectly laid out plan of strategy for the next few years or what it control. Like, trust the process and, you know, through the process, you'll figure it all out. Uh, yeah, just putting stuff out there. It is. And what, when, when you, um, when you put it out there, how, how do you, I guess, take uh, criticism as an artist? Just generally speaking, like, like how should an artist take criticism because that's a whole thing that can like shut some people down if yeah. they take it the wrong way um i think it's important to constructive criticism 
beneficial, right? Especially when you're starting out. So I think before putting anything up, you know, asking some people whose opinion you trust and respect, what they think of it, get their thoughts on things. Um, those are the opinions that matter. The opinions of the general public are generally unimportant. Um, obviously, you want people to like you on social media and want to engage with you, but like, don't be down in the comments and you know getting all upset because of something that's said about you. Um, it's just like advice, you know. You can't let people's opinions hurt you or stop you from doing what you want to do. You just kind of got to stick with it. So, like, you you went to film school and you were talking about how subjective that world that world is yeah. how how back then when you're first starting did you handle the that subjective criticism when you were creating the art and then how did that uh, i guess acceptance because you were in a a mode of accepting criticism how did that then shape you going forward and in your life like how fundamental was that yeah so um it definitely taught me First off, it taught me how to properly critique something because, you know, your professors are really good at critiquing things in ways that will ultimately benefit you, if they're a good professor at least. Right? They're not trying to put you down, they're trying to help you, help you grow. So, you know, learning how to properly critique something and how to properly critique my own work was super important in uh, film school. And then just learning to deal with other people's opinions, you know, realizing you have group discussions in the class, uh, some people's opinions aren't the same as yours. And that's okay. Like, people are going to have different opinions. Uh, it's about understanding each other and, you know, working towards something at the end of the day. So what would you say to kids? You, you had the, the great fortune of going to two universities and graduating and having that base. Uh, there's a anti-establishment, kind of anti-college um, uh, ideal going on right now amongst the youth. How, how do you see that world of, you know, you're a young man living in, in the in the freelance world and you also have the world of college behind you. Do you yeah. think college should be a strong aspiration? And uh, if someone can't go to college, like what, what should they be doing to continue the education of learning? Yeah. Well, uh, first off, I think there's definitely way too many people that think they need to go to college and they probably don't. I think it's a societal thing where they feel like they're uh, not as important or not as valued if they don't have a college degree, which I don't think is the case at all. I think that, you know, you could be anywhere in life without, with or without a college degree. There's certain things you have to have it, you know? So like those things where it's more important to go to school, you know, for instance, engineering, law school, medical school, those kind of things. Um, school is super important and like it's good to have that sort of education but as far as like for film and content generation I don't think it's a necessity um, I think experience is the most important thing and working hard making connections uh, the one thing that film school provided me was you know a lot of connections with people but the thing is, is nowadays is the internet such a great resource for anything you might want to learn. I mean, I really learned 90% of things on the internet and then translated into film school. Um, obviously, like research papers and stuff like that that were subjective, you know, kind of came from more internal, but all the technical stuff I wanted to learn, I just went to YouTube. 
or somewhere online. There's so many different resources. So, surf, surfing was was your your, your uh, initial passion into this world. What surfing movies influenced you the most? Because we're coming from yeah. a time period before YouTube, yeah. when surfing movies were a thing. You popped it yeah. in the in the VHS, I'm assuming. Or, yeah, one of my favorites as a teenager was. Yeah, I remember that. I was always really drawn to those films because the colors, like they shot on film, so sick. And artsy with their shooting. Yeah, and they always had great songs. Like, I was really into music since a young age, so like putting the right tracks to the right shots. They had it all going. They had good surfers. Um, obviously, you know, like the intersection stuff back in the day was also huge for the momentum generation. Momentum was before my time. So I was more in that, you know, late 2006 to 2010 stage of things where it was getting a lot more high performance in a lot of ways and people were starting to experiment with different things. Um, yeah, all the all the globe stuff was really my favorite. So, so there's a lot of video techniques in those movies that is, are are very experimental. Yeah. And it, to create something like that, you have to know the history of film and what's come before you to even think about doing some of that stuff. Absolutely. So, if we stretch the time period back more, like what's something in the in the world of uh, uh, videography history that really is like super um, bedrock inspiring to you and kind of you just take with it to this day? There's, there's so many different elements from different cultures. Um, one of them that I I still stick with a lot is, I mean, uh, a lot of Japanese visual style, actually. Stuff I really like. Like, there's this one terminology called inpei. It's like shooting through the mist to, like, reveal something, basically. Wow. And it just talks about how in life, you know, like, things a lot of times that are shrouded in the mist and like going through the mist wow. to find such things. It's like the, the, the journey through it, you know, the, the mist and the darkness where you can't really see anything. Do you remember I went through that stage where I put fog everywhere yeah. and, then, and then walked through the fog? You didn't even know that. Did didn't you? even know that, but that's what that was all about. Yeah. Dude, that's that's blowing my mind right now. Yep. Um, so different things like that where it's like done it before but you didn't even know that was a, a thing right you know or just like one thing that was really important to me was learning how different shots uh convey different messages or tell stories in a different way like uh this movie do the right thing by spike lee in one of the scenes they got a confrontation between this guy that had a big box to do they're in the store together and as things start getting more and more heated. You like see the camera getting more and more off, like off filter almost. And it just like intensifies the scene so much because like every shot, it's like more and more angled. And it's just like getting more and more extreme and exaggerated as the tensions rise. So like using shots in a way that enhance the story is like super important. Epic. And now what's like a full length movie that sits in your mind as something like that that's like artsy and you you even use to this day contemporarily like are you a, a quentin tarantino fan you know honestly i i'm not someone that really like 
stick to a certain uh, film or anything like that. It's more like I'll find little elements in everyday life or in any random film that kind of sparks something in me. Um, whether it's like, you know, like I remember, um, I can't remember the name of the film right now, but this is my African cinema class. We were watching it and like they, the way that they use colors that they use. Uh, these like different blue and steel tones to convey like different levels of happiness or sadness, different emotions um, through the color and then it helps tell what was going on in the story. But yeah, as far as my favorite style of shooting, uh, I don't really have one person that I stick to. It's more a situational thing for me, whatever I feel in that moment. Like what's what calls best for this thing? Yeah. So one thing I've been noticing recently, and it kind of crosses the uh, cultural divide of language, are, are uh, short form stuff that's silent, where there's no there's no uh, no talking going on, but the message is purvey, purvey, uh, comes across. What what do you think about that? Do you think it's uh, something that's like in its infancy and has uh, future? What, what's an example of that? Um, so content where where they're doing stuff but they're not they're, there's not they're not talking about it. so it's like a throwback to silent films almost and um it, it goes popular because the message is conveyed but then there's no language needed so it right. can hit a billion people and everyone gets it right um i think that's kind of the outdoor channels i was talking to you about before a lot of them um they don't talk much there's very little dialogue like, they'll be serious with, like five Wow. And uh, it's just, yeah, the language barrier isn't there. You know, it's kind of easier for people to understand what's going on. Um, I think more and more people are using the internet as a form of escape, you know, in good ways. And they could be bad as well, but in a lot of good ways. Like someone, someone uh, um, wants to be in that environment, but right. they can't. They're in the city, yep. but they, they can grasp it through that. Right. Content. So say you're living in New York. And, uh, you know, you just are starting to feel a little claustrophobic, so you pop on some outdoor YouTube channel and class and push. You know, it's, it's that kind of escape that uh, I think the longer and less dialogue style videos really help with. It brings you into that environment. It, like, immerses you in it almost. Well, Jake, I, I could I could go on and on, but I want to kind of recap for the audience what I've learned in this, and these are my key point takeaways. You got to create, you got to put it out there. Yep. Then you'll start learning, yep. and that will get the ball rolling. Don't get discouraged with the amount of viewers because that will come with time and practice, right? Absolutely. And be dynamic in your approach to the art. Yep. Remember, you're an artist, yep. and. Uh, I said the artist can't go wrong. He just has to do. The artist does. The artist does. The artist way. That that is that is 100% right. Yep. Now before we go, um, broad macro question. Well, first before I go there, what what you know we you're giving lots of advice. What's a little package you can give the kids on advice in operating in this world? Uh, just you know, stay in the lane and do what you want. Uh, there's, there's endless possibilities for things out there in life that you could do. So like, focus on helping others and doing good for yourself. And the rest will kind of fall in place. Love it. And 
What is the meaning of life according to Jake Stevenson? Oh, just, you know. The meaning of life, I don't know. It's tough. Maybe you don't really want to search for happiness because you'll never really find it. It's all about, you know, just enjoying the ride and the journey. And kind of embracing anything that comes along with it. So, yeah, I don't really have a, a key or something like that. It's more just like embracing it all. Epic, guys. You heard it here first. This has been episode 30. 30 episodes. Speaking from Water with Jake Stevenson. It was an honor, a, priv a privilege to speak with him. I know I learned a lot. I hope you learned a lot. And uh, we just probably walked about seven miles. We did a good bit of walk. Down Riceville Beach. Sunrise. It's light now. Um, dude, thank you very much for joining yeah, us. Thanks for having me out. Yeah, do, do you have uh, anyone you'd like to shout out? No, I mean, you can follow uh, my, my work page, Stevenson Media, on Instagram. That's about it. Okay, yeah. and you're on LinkedIn? Yeah, I think I am on LinkedIn. It's been a minute, but I'm on there. Sick. Yeah. Okay, well, we're signing off from Wrightsville Beach. And wherever you are today, hit that subscribe button, smash the like. We appreciate it. And we're going into 2024 in two days. So it's been an amazing 2023. I hope you had a good one. And we look forward to seeing you in a few days in the future. With that said, peace out.